So the purpose of this series, We Are Soma, is to sow in to, remember the, the theme for this year is um, seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping. We're sowing things for the sake of seeing things based upon what God promises he would like to see in our lives himself, things that he'd like to see. This series is about sowing into our church family, theologically, what the Bible says about the body of Christ. What the Bible says about the church, that, that whole idea of the body of Christ and, and what the church is and is supposed to be about is really coming under attack, and I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But one of the things we want to sow into you all, is theologically, what we believe as a church about the body of Christ, we also want to sow into this church family um, philosophically what we think are right and relevant ways to live out these truths in the context of our culture. And when I say our culture, I don't necessarily mean the culture at large or the American culture. I certainly do mean those. But maybe more specifically, I mean the local culture that God has called all of us to be missionaries to. It's a place called Tyler, Texas. Anybody ever heard of it? Yeah, we live here, right? And, you know, Tyler, Texas has been defined as the buckle of the Bible Belt. And so it's a very unique culture to be missionaries in. And so we want to talk about, over the next four weeks, just the way we think as a church. Philosophy is just the the way you think about something. So we're going to talk about some of the uh, philosophical things that we believe as a church. But also, we're going to kind of be rolling out, um, pragmatically, things that are going to change a little bit. Some things that are adapting, good things, no bad things, good things. Um, things that we're going to be adapting and things that we're going to be adopting as a church that's going to help us live out these theologies and live out these philosophies that we feel like are God-given to us. And so <clears throat> one of the things I want to mention is that alongside of this series, all the life groups are going to be tracking with this, In fact, um, I may go ahead and make an announcement if it's okay. Um, McClellan's and the Clarks, if you guys want to stand up. We're going to be adding two new groups. I don't think the Cheneys are here, but both of these uh, couples, families, are a part of the Cheney Life Group. And uh, the Cheney Life Group has been just growing and exploding and tons of people. And so we're multiplying that group. Is that not the coolest thing ever? I mean, what did we say was one of the things this year is about? Seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping, right? And already we're seeing a harvest. We're seeing things multiply and grow. And, and uh, so um, Ben and Jessica Clark are going to be starting a life group. And um, Michael and Tanya McClellan are going to be starting a life group. And some of the people in that cur- current life group will probably be going over. If you are interested, if you're not part of a life group, and you specifically want to go through this with a life group, you can look at our current life groups and then you can talk to these guys at some point after the service about um, when their life group is going to be, some of the details. Okay? Everybody say, yep. yep. Awesome, you guys. Thank you. They're super excited about that. So tonight I want to lay a little bit of a theological foundation for this series. Okay? So go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you've been with us very long, you know that Ephesians chapter 4 is a very significant chapter of scripture for our church. When Melissa and I um, were praying and a group of people, uh, Sean and Brittany and Tabitha and Sean Walter and um, so many others um, were a part of that in the beginning. This is one of the chapters that we look to because it's a chapter that's really dedicated to some very, uh, some specific principles as it relates to the church. And we're going to get to some of those, but um, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But 
It's very significant. It starts out saying, therefore I, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Has anybody ever heard me quote that scripture, that verse? Anybody ever heard me quote that? That's why. I mean, this is what we're all about. But I want you to notice he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. If you look at the way that Paul starts this whole letter, this whole book, he says, Paul, he's introducing himself, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In other words, God has, has chosen me and given me a specific role in life, role in the universe. It's called an apostle. And then if you look at the way he starts chapter three, he basically says kind of the same thing in four, but he says, I, Paul, or for this reason, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, he goes a little bit further saying, here's more specifically what God has called me to do and to be. And he lays out, especially in chapter three, just who he is and what he's about, what God's called him to be and some of his purposes. But then here in chapter four, he says, therefore, and you've always heard that if it's, if you see a therefore, it's therefore a reason, right? He says, therefore, in light of everything I just kind of spelled out about my own calling, he says, I implore you or beg you or urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you, which you have received. And so the bigger picture is we've all been called. We all have a part to play. And then he goes into some specifics with all humility, with all gentleness, uh, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. In other words, these are, these are things that are worthy, um, the way that you live that would be worthy of the calling that we have received. And then I want you to look at verse 3 because we're going to pause here before we move um, forward with some specific points. It says, In verse 3, he says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Some of you may have read that before. You may even have it memorized or you've heard teachings about it. As I was studying it, I found something um, this past week that I've never seen before just by kind of diving into some of the original language. And I want to show that. But I want you, I want to back up and says, he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And one of the things that he lays out as something being worthy a manner worthy of living is this right here, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And I want to break down some words, so walk with me here. Being diligent to preserve. Let's look at the word diligent. It literally means to endeavor. In fact, some of your translations say endeavor to preserve or endeavor to. The word diligent means to be endeavor. More specifically, it means to exert oneself. In other words, um, like give all your energy, give a great amount of energy, focus, strength, um, intentionality towards a thing. So he's saying exert some energy. It even means to make haste, like to do it quickly. Exert yourself quickly. Um, be intentional. Endeavor to preserve. And I want to look at that word preserve. I've never done this, but I did this this week, and I think it's good for us to hear this. That word preserve, I don't know what your Bible says. Mine says preserve. But it means to attend to Carefully, and more specifically, it means this, to guard from loss or injury. Now, if you know anything about Paul, he's really into sports, right? He's really into running the race in such a way as to win, fight the good fight, punch somebody in the face if they get in your grill, all that kind of stuff. I was just making sure you're listening. Some of you are like, okay. Always talking about sports. So it's no, it's no coincidence that he's bringing up something here. 
He says to guard from loss or from injury. Now, some of you know my history. I'm a, I'm a runner. I still run, not as much as I used to when I was in high school, but I was in track, long distance running, all that kind of stuff. Well, when I was around 27 years old, I went out one day and went for a run, but I went for a run like I was 17. You guys know what I mean? And, and so I didn't stretch. I didn't do anything. And I pulled my calf and I've been dealing with that calf injury um, since then, I'm 40 years old. So how many years is that? 13 years? I've been dealing with this calf injury and I love to run. I love everything about it. I love to run hard. But here's the thing. Because of this injury in my body, every time I run, I literally have to go, I have to go warm up my leg, you know, get my muscles kind of warm up and loose. And then I got to stretch. And, and anybody that lives with me, you know, I'm always out there just, you know, stretching my calf. Because if I don't, I'm going to re-injure it. Does that make sense? And even when I'm running, I have to watch the way my feet, I literally have to take care of where I run, the surfaces, are they level, are they not level, what kind of heels am I running, how fast am I running the heels, and even the way my foot hits the ground, even to the point of how hard do I push off with that calf. And how many of you understand the language that I'm talking? What I have to do is I have to preserve, I have to attend to carefully, I have to guard to make sure that I don't experience loss or injury. That's the language that Paul's talking. Look what he says next. Be diligent to preserve or exert one's energy, exert yourself to guard from injury, specifically the unity of the Spirit. Now everybody say unity of the Spirit. It's really important as we move forward, not just tonight, but this whole series. Unity, that word unity just means oneness. Be diligent to preserve the unity, the oneness. Everybody say one. One finger up in the air and say it. Be diligent to preserve the unity, the oneness of the spirit. And then he says, in the bond of peace. And this, I mean, it's no coincidence. We read these words and they translate them and it has all kinds of meaning. But really in this, you can see kind of something else that he's saying. That word bond means that which binds together. But it is the word that they use a lot for the word ligament. Specifically, of ligaments by which the members of the human body are united together. Wow. And he talks about the ligaments that bind together, specifically, peace. Now somebody tell me, the word for peace. Everybody said shalom. That's not the word used here. First of all, shalom is Hebrew. <laughs> this is in Greek. But it's not that word typically that peace. It means to be joined together. In fact, it means to be joined together again. So think about what he's saying. Exert your energy in such a way as to guard from loss or injury the spirit or the unity of the Spirit, or the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of, essentially, something that was at one time disjointed or divided or separated. And that's the people of God, God from His people, all kinds of stuff. And He's saying, you work hard to keep joined that, what, that which God has joined together. Do you guys see what I'm saying? And take such care that your focus, your, I mean, I think about how whenever I'm running, how it's almost annoying 
Because if I get caught up in my music and start worshiping, you know, while I'm running, then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, and I fall down and people will look at me and laugh. But I have to focus. And he's saying that kind of focus to ensure there's no injury or loss or separation again from that which has been joined together. And what God has joined together is found in the very next thing that he says. In verse 4, there is one body. Some of your translations read it. For there is one body. Take care because, or for, there's one body. How many bodies are there? There's one. And he says, and there's one spirit. It makes sense. You can see the flow now. Take care because there's only one body. By the way, this is, this is the word. This word body is soma. This is where we got the name for our church. Our heart is to truly be and function as the body. There is one body and one spirit. He goes on to say, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Everybody say calling. We're going to come back to that. Verse 5, he says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, of all who is over all and through all and in all. He's talking about the body of Christ. Now I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. really want you to turn there because you can write things down, you can mark things. 1 Corinthians 12. And I will say this before I go much further. The beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant or unaware of spiritual gifts. And he goes into a bunch of gifts that can be utilized in such a way to build up, edify, not just the believers, but primarily the believers, but it can also be used to win the hearts of those who are lost to the Lord. But in verse 12, he says, For even as the body is one, and we see that again, The body is one. There's one body. Even as the body is one and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. And then he says, so also is Christ. We all know that Paul is the master of metaphors. That dude can come up with an analogy that, you know, he's great at it. Okay? Right now he's using, he's describing this relationship that exists in the body of Christ and he's likening it, likening it to the way a body works, the way a body is laid out, the way that it functions. There's one body. Even though there's many members, all the members are one body. Though they are many, they are one body. So also is Christ. And he's talking about the body of of Christ. That's what we're talking about. The body of Christ. He goes on to say, for by one spirit, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now I want to teach you something real quick. For by one spirit, we were talking about one body. We're talking about one spirit. We're talking about keeping the unity of the spirit. See how all these words and all these phrases and ideas are swimming together because there's an overall point here. He says, um, For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. How many of you know that scripture tells us we cannot come to the Lord and be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws us? The good thing is the Holy Spirit's always on the clock. He's always drawing people. So you don't have to think, well, I don't think he's drawing me yet. No, he's drawing. You just need to make sure you're paying attention and responding. Amen? Is that right? We can't, we can't come to the Lord except that the Holy Spirit woos us or draws us. And when that gospel message comes alive to us and we respond with an earth-shaking yes, and actually, if you, if you know anything about Scripture, our yes also shakes the heavens. 
Because the angels rejoice every time someone says yes to the gospel. Isn't that good news? Did you know that the angels celebrate your salvation? Yes! I don't know how they celebrate. I don't know, if it's, I don't know what they do. <laughs> but there is some sort of get jiggy with it goes in heaven. When we... Now listen. At the point when we get saved, it says that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. Or into the body. That we are baptized into the body. Whether Jew or Greek, whether you're slave or free, it doesn't matter who you are. We were all made to drink of one spirit. And that one spirit baptizes us or immerses us or places us into one body. There's only one body that God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, baptize, or the Holy Spirit baptizes us into. And that is the body of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Now, you know, you, you may have been part of a church growing up that... When you um, become a member of this church, you've got to be baptized into that church. You guys ever heard of that? Some of you had to be baptized more than once. Why? Because you were joining a new church. You need to be rebaptized. This is kind of where they get that. It's, it's absurd because that's not what this is talking about at all. This is talking about when you receive Christ, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. You are then part of the family of God. In fact, I want you to write this down. Every believer belongs to the body of Christ. Every believer belongs to the body. And if you want to write of Christ, you can do that. Every believer belongs to the body of Christ. In Romans 12, which is another great... Oh man, Romans 12 is one of my favorite. It says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, just like Paul was talking about at the beginning of Ephesians and urges us to discover for ourselves and walk in. He says, so it is with Christ's body. We are, uh, though we are many, we are part of one body. And here's what it says in the NLT. I think it's a very accurate um, translation. And we all belong. Now listen to me, because I'm about to say something that most in the body of Christ, ironically, you think about, you think ironically about one of the biggest complaints that people have about church is that the church isn't being the church. You ever heard that? One of the churches just needs to be the church. Or they're not being the body. But ironically, most people don't even understand what that means and aren't doing the simple things that it takes to make that happen. It says, we are many parts of one body and we all belong, get this, to each other. (laughs) Now we will boast that we belong to Christ all day long. But the truth is, theologically, is that we belong to each other. Why? Because we were all baptized by the same Spirit into the one body. And if we're all part of the same body, then we belong together. My pinky belongs to my big toe. You know? Some of you know some of those natural laws about the body. My finger belongs to my nose. We know the relationship, right? That's why we don't pick other people's nose. No, I'm going to keep the nose picking and ear digging within this own body, right? That's why we all go, oh, when someone gives us a wet willy. You know what I'm talking about? Keep your 
You know, saliva infested pinky into your own ear, whatever. Everybody, every believer belongs to the body. We are part, though we're many, we are part of one body and we all belong to each other. You guys, do you understand how different the church would be if the members of it understood that not only do we belong to God, belong to Christ, and are accountable to Him in that relationship, worthy of of the calling of Christ Jesus, but that we also have have to live in a manner that is worthy of each other, that honors each other, that promotes and protects one another. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Why? Because we're part of one body. Thanks to the one spirit. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. He's he's trying to nullify all that. If you're a slave or a free man, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many members. That's another mistake that's being made in the body of Christ is that one man does all the work and we're talking about the pastor or one staff does all the work. You know, Marvin introduced some of our staff. That doesn't mean anything except for we're here to serve you and help you. Amen? We're not anything special. Not any more special special than you are. We just have a specific role within the body of Christ. Like Paul said, I am an apostle. That's what God called me to be. More specifically, to the Gentiles. Peter wasn't an apostle to the Gentiles. He was an apostle to who? The Jews. You know, well, you don't. No, they weren't doing that. They weren't going around and wet willies in each other's ear. You know, they weren't doing that because they understood. I have my part, you have your part, but we're all part of the one body, the same body. If you look over, and we're gonna skip some um, um, of the rest of this chapter because I'm gonna talk about it next week more specifically, but I want you to look at verse 27. It says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. I love the way he says it there. I want you to look at me. He doesn't say, if you'd like to be, this is something that you can sign up for day for, today for only $9.95. If you order now, we will throw in a spiritual gift. You know, it's not that. He says, if you are in Christ, <laughs> sorry, I don't know what's wrong with me. I haven't even had coffee since this morning, so I don't know. He says, now you are, listen to this phrasing, you are Christ's body. And he's not talking to me or Melissa or Sean or Jesse or what, he's talking to all of us. If you're in Christ, you are Christ's body. Everybody say this with me. I am Christ's body. That sounds really weird. But we are Christ's body. And listen to me, we have to be careful not to let the prevailing ideas of the day take us away from that truth, from the church, from the body of Christ. Because the prevailing idea of the day is that you can be the church without the church. You can be the body of Christ without the body of Christ. It's not true. It's just not true. And we'll talk a lot about that as we go in this series. But I just want to give you a a theological basis for this. 
If you are in Christ Jesus, you are the body of Christ, whether you like it or not. Every believer belongs to the body, whether you like it or not. There's a ring to it. Every believer belongs to the body, whether you like it or not. Everybody say that. Every believer belongs to the body, whether they like it or not. One more time. Every believer belongs to the body, whether you like it. I hope that everybody goes to bed with that annoying little ditty in your head. Can't let the prevailing ideas of the day take us away from the church. Colossians 2.18 says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. And, And I'll show you, but he's talking about believers. Don't let other believers, listen to me. Don't let other believers defraud you of this prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, uh, secondary, lesser things, uh, taking his stand on visions he's seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. And it says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. He said, these are people who do not hold fast to the head from whom the entire body is built up, supplied by the joints and ligaments. Let's talk about that for a minute. Everybody say this, Christ is the head of the church. But let's write it this way. Number two, every Christian takes their cues from Christ. Every Christian takes their cues from Christ. And I got all kinds of of scriptures. Um, Think about, that's a foundation for all things. Paul said in Colossians 2.10, in him you have been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. So before we even talk about the body of Christ, he's the head over everything. Before we even talk about this, this little soul, this little flesh and blood, you know, vessel, let's just talk about everything else. In him, we've been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. Colossians 1, I should have read this one first maybe. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That means that he must be the top of the chain, right? He is also the head of the body, the church. Colossians 1.18. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So foundationally, he is the first. He is the head of everything. But then we see in, in several different scriptures, especially in the marriage analogy, that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. We hear that in the weddings, right? The husband is the head of the wife. That doesn't mean, that's right, baby, you give me some vittles on the floor. You know, that's not what it's saying. You sweep the floor, mop the That's not what it's saying. Husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body, of which he is the Savior. And it goes on to say that Christ loves the church, love your wife. In fact, love your wife the way that Christ loves the church. Okay, so don't misconstrue what that's all about. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Everybody say head of the church. His body. I love that it follows up with that. Head of the church, his body. Head of the church, his body. The church, the body is the same thing. Of which he is the savior. Of which the Holy Spirit baptizes into his body, once we said, yes, please, be my Savior. Ephesians 1.22, same thing. Actually, no, 1 Corinthians 11, same thing, uh, marriage. 
I want you all to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of, of the woman. God is the head of Christ. There's an order to things. Foundation is that he is above all things. Ephesians 1, at the beginning of that chapter, if we'd have kept reading, it says, he put, God, put all things in subjection under his, his feet, talking about Christ, and gave Christ as head over, um, over all things to the church, which is us. I could go on and on and on with scriptures about this. Every Christian takes their cues from Christ. Now think about the physiology of a body. And I'll try to get through this quickly. But think about the physiology of a body. This works because somehow, I don't even get it, this is telling it to do so. You know, when I do this, which looks awkward and silly, but for some reason that's what my head is telling it to do. My body... Everything takes its cues from my brain. And if something is not going on right here, feels physiologically correctly, then my body may not respond like it's supposed to. And how many of you know that there are many Christians, people in the church, in the body of Christ, that are not responding how they are supposed to? Well, how is that? In a manner that is worthy of the calling that they have received in Christ Jesus. Amen? And some of you might be like, that's me. Or you may be like a typical person say, oh, that's somebody I know, <laughs> you know? But more than likely, it's all of us because we don't understand that we are the body of Christ. Every Christian takes their cues from Christ and if they're not, not only are they in disobedience and lack of understanding, they're really missing out on a massive reward that is available for us now satisfied with the reward that they have in the eternal. (laughs) I'm not satisfied with just that. I want everything that he has for me now. And according to scripture, much of the way that I receive that reward is by connecting to the body of Christ. Amen? For the sake of time, let's, um, let's, um, let's talk about one more. And we're going to take communion here in a minute. And it's the first week of the month and we try to do that. And knowing that we're going to be taking communion, I thought, that's perfect. I mean, think about this. In fact, I'm just going to say this. You can write this down so that you'll know where I'm coming from on this. Communion is a commitment to carry out the call. Communion, and I could cry thinking about this. Communion is a commitment to carry out the call. Every time we take communion, we are reaffirming everything about our relationship with Christ. One of the things is I belong to the body. I am the body. Communion is a commitment to carry out the call. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, again, he's a whiz. Verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 16, he says, when, and this is the NIV, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table. Aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? Whoa, now think about this. We've never thought about this or heard this maybe even. When we take communion, we are partaking of Christ, but because we are the body of Christ, we are partaking of not so much ourselves, but of one another. I mean, let that sit on us for a second. We get pretty good, though not even really, 
that great at this, but we fail so often at this simply because we don't understand. We're going to take communion in a minute and we're going to remember the things that Jesus said while they were eating. Jesus took bread when he had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. Theologically, he could have said, take and eat. This is me. And this is you. Because you are one with me. I am in you. You are in me. Amen? Now, don't freak out and think we're going somewhere weird with all this. All I'm saying is, we are the body of Christ. And we belong, as we read earlier, to one another. We belong to Christ, but we belong to one another. And what we're seeing so, again, it's so prevalent is we are seeing people disconnect from the body of Christ. The church, the local, the organized, the organize, organization of it all. And we get that it's not perfect. You know, this church isn't perfect. But it is what God ordained to carry out the call. And we're going to get into that next week, and the week after, and the week after. And I'm really excited to share about that. Luke 22, another account of this. He says he took some bread gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples. And this time he says, this is my body, which is given for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now think about what he's saying. Do this to remember me. Apply that to the body. Take this bread. It's my body. Do this to remember me. To remember what? To remember what he did with his body while he was alive. His hands healed. His mouth spoke. His feet walked. I mean, we could go on and on and on about how his physical body was used all the way even to his death, the way he used his body to provide redemption, reconciliation, salvation. But also to remember what he did with his body through his church. Now, we are his church but we have the ability to look through the ages at what God has done through the church. Yes, there's been some terrible things done in the name of church and Christianity. Yes. We talk about that a lot as it relates to the Jews. It's awful. It's one of the biggest barriers when ministering to a Jewish person because of what we've done in the name of Christ to Jews. Not so much us, but others. And yet still, we can look in umpteen million ways at how God has used his church to keep all this alive. Most of us are here and born again because of the church. Most of us, maybe all of us. I love para ministries. I've worked for para ministries. They have their place. But God didn't say, upon this revelation or upon this rock, I will build my para ministry, my para church, my church, my, a ministry that will help the church. No, he said, I will build my church Thank God for ministries that help the church in that calling. But this, the church, what we're experiencing here, here is the stuff. Is this too intense? I hope not, because I'm just getting started. This is just week one, baby. Some of you may have heard of St. Augustine, um, early first century theologian. He said, you are the body of Christ. In you, 
and through you, the work of the incarnation, that just means Christ incarnate, Christ uh, made flesh, Christ um, present, if you will. In you and through you, the work of Christ made flesh or present must go forward in you. You are to be taken. Whoa. You are to be blessed. You are to be broken. You are to be distributed. (laughs) That you may be the means of grace and vehicle of eternal love to someone else. This is the fourth thing. Every life lived for the Lord proves that he's alive. Every life lived for the Lord proves that he's alive. So I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, that you are in me and that I am in you. What I want to do is I want us to worship together through taking communion. And remember what we said, communion is a commitment to carry out the call. If this is something you've never understood, I want to encourage you to make a commitment to carry out the call. And you may not know exactly what God's called you to specifically, like he called the Apostle Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. You may not know that specific yet, but you know one thing, that your life is to be lived righteously and holily uh, and reflect God's glory. Amen? If nothing else, you can focus on that. You can focus on loving one another.